Section 22 of The Naval Officer, or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. The Naval Officer, or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay, by Captain Frederick Marriott. Chapter Seventeen, Part Two. This was enough. He began with Egypt and went on increasing in the number and magnitude of his lies, in proportion as we applauded them. A shorthand writer ought to have been there, for no human memory could do justice to this modern Munchausen. Talking of the water of the Nile, said he. I remember when I was first lieutenant of the Bellerophon, I went into Minorca with only six tons of water, and in four hours we had three hundred and fifty tons on board, all stowed away. I made all hands work. The Admiral himself was up to the neck in water with the rest of them. Damn it, Admiral, says I. No skulking. Well, we sailed the next day, and such a gale of wind I never saw in all my life. Away went all our masts, and we had nearly been swamped with the weather roll. One of the boats was blown off the booms and went clean out of sight before it touched the water. You may laugh at that, but that was nothing to the swallow sloop of war. She was in company with us. She wanted to scud for it, but, by Jupiter, she was blown two miles up the country, guns, men, and all, and the next morning they found her flying jib-boom had gone through the church window and slap into the cheek of the picture of the Virgin Mary. The natives all swore it was done on purpose by damned heretics. The captain was forced to arm his men and march them all down to the beach, giving the ship up to the people, who were so exasperated that they set her on fire, and never thought of the powder which was on board. All the priests were in their robes, singing some stuff or other to purify the church, but that was so much time thrown away, for in one moment away went church, priests, pictures and people, all to the devil together here he indulged himself in some vile language and scurrilous abuse of religion and its ministers all priests were hypocritical scoundrels if he was to be of any religion at all he said he should prefer being a roman catholic because then you know added he a man may sin as much as he likes and rub off as he goes for a few shillings i got my commission by religion damn me i found my old admiral was a psalm singer so says i my old boy i'll give you enough of that so i made the boatswain stuff me a hassock and this i carried with me everywhere that i might save my trousers and not hurt my knees so then i turned to and prayed all day long and kept the people awake singing psalms all night i knelt down and prayed on the quarter-deck main-deck and lower-deck I preached to the men in the tears when they coiled the cables, and groaned loud and deep when I heard an oath. The thing took. The admiral said I was the right sort, and he made a commander out of the greatest atheists in the ship. No sooner did I get hold of the sheepskin than to the devil I pitched hassock and Bible. How long he might have gone on with this farrago, it is difficult to say, but we were getting tired of him so we passed the bottle till he left off narrative and took to friendship now i say hiccup you frank you are a devilish good fellow but that one-eyed son of a gun 
i'll try him by a court-martial the first time i catch him drunk i'll hang him at the yard-arm and you shall be my first lieutenant and custos rot torum dammy only you come and tell me the first time he is disguised in liquor and i'll settle him damn his cock-eye a saucy polyphemus-looking son of a hiccup a whitechapel bird-catcher here his recollection failed him he began to talk to himself and to confound me with the first lieutenant i'll teach him to write to port admirals for leave son of a sea-cook he was now drawing to the finale and began to sing the cook of the huffy got drunk fell down the fore scuttle and broke his gin bottle here his head fell back he tumbled off his chair and lay motionless on the carpet having previously determined not to let him be exposed in the streets in that state i had provided a bed for him at the inn and ringing the bell i ordered the waiter to carry him to it having seen him safely deposited untied his neckcloth took off his boots and raised his head a little we left him and returned to the table where we finished our evening in great comfort but without any other instance of intoxication the next morning i waited on him he seemed much annoyed at seeing me supposing i meant by my presence to rebuke him for his intemperance but this was not my intention i asked him how he felt and i regretted that the hilarity of the evening had been interrupted in so unfortunate a manner how do you mean sir do you mean to insinuate that i was not sober by no means sir said i but you are aware that in the midst of your delightful and entertaining conversation you tumbled off your chair in an epileptic fit are you subject to these oh yes my dear fellow indeed i am but it is so long since i last had one that i was in hopes they had left me i have invalided for them four times and just at the very periods when if i could have remained out my promotion was certain he then told me i might remain on shore that day if i pleased i gave him credit for his happy instinct in taking the hint of the fit and as soon as i left him he arose went on board and flogged two men for being drunk the night before i did not fail to report all that had passed to my messmates and we sailed a few days afterwards for barbados on the first sunday of our being at sea the captain dined in the gun-room with the officers he soon launched out into his usual strain of lying and boasting which always irritated our doctor who was a sensible young welshman on these occasions he never failed to raise a laugh at the captain's expense by throwing in one or two words at the end of each anecdote and this he did in so grave and modest a manner that without a previous knowledge of him any one might have supposed he was serious the captain renewed his story of the corps of poodles to extract the fuses from the shells i hoped he said to see the institution of such a corps among ourselves and if i were to be the colonel of it i should soon have a star on my breast that would be the dog's star said the doctor with extreme gaiety thank you doctor said the captain not bad i owe you one we laughed the doctor kept his countenance and the captain looked very grave but he continued his lies and dragged in as usual the name of sir sidney smith to support his assertions 
if you doubt me only ask sir sydney smith he'll talk to you about acre for thirty-six hours on a stretch without taking breath his coxswain at last got so tired of it that he nicknamed him long acre the poor doctor did not come off scot-free the next day he discovered that the deck leaked above his cabin and the water ran into his bed he began with a hammer and some nails to fasten up a piece of painted canvas by way of shelter the captain heard the noise of the hammer and finding it was the doctor desired him to desist the doctor replied that he was only endeavouring to stop some leaks over his bed the captain said they should not be stopped for that a bed of leeks was a very good bed for a welshman there doctor now we are quits that's for your dog star i suppose you think nobody can make a pun or a pill in the ship but yourself if my pills were no better than your puns muttered the doctor we should all be in a bad way the captain then directed the carpenter not to allow any nails to the doctor or the use of any of his tools he even told the poor surgeon that he did not know how to make a pill and that he was as useless as the navy board he accused him of ignorance in other parts of his profession and ordering all the sick men on deck rope ended them to increase their circulation and put a little life into them many a poor sick creature have i seen receive a most unmerciful beating my wonder was that the men did not throw him overboard and i do really believe that if it had not been for respect and love to the officers they would have done so no sooner had we got into blue water as he called it that is out of soundings than he began his pranks which never ceased till we reached carlisle bay officers and men were all treated alike and there was no redress for no one among us dared to bring him to a court-martial his constant maxim was keep sailors at work and you keep the devil out of their minds all hands all day watch and watch all night no man said jacky the name we gave him eats the bread of idleness on board of my ship work keeps the scurvy out of their bones the lazy rascals the officers and men for the first three weeks never had a watch below during the day they were harassed and worn to death and the most mutinous and discontented spirit prevailed throughout the ship one of the best seamen said in the captain's hearing that since the ship had been at sea he had only had three watches below and if i had known it said the captain you should not have had that and turning the hands up he gave him four dozen whenever he flogged the men which he was constantly doing he never failed to upbraid them with ingratitude and the indulgences which they received from him by god there is no man of war in the service that has so much indulgence all you have to do is to keep the ship clean square the yards hoist in your provisions eat them hoist your grog in drink it and strike the empty casks over the side but heaven itself would not please such a set of damned fat lazy discontented rascals his language to the officers was beyond anything i ever could have supposed would have proceeded from the mouth of a human being the master one day incurred his displeasure and he very flippantly told the poor man to go to hades i hope sir said the master i have as good a chance of going to heaven as yourself you go to heaven 
said the captain. You go to heaven. Let me catch you there, and I will come and kick you out. This was, indeed, showing how far he would have carried his tyranny if he could. But our feelings are relieved from any violent shock at this apparent blasphemy when we recollect that the poor man was an atheist, and that his idea of heaven was that of a little parlour at the Star and Garter, with a good fire, plenty of grog, and pipes of tobacco. He kept no table, nor did he ever drink any wine except when he dined with us, but got drunk every night, more or less, on the ship's spirits, in his own cabin. He was always most violent in the evening. Our only revenge was laughing at his monstrous lies on Sunday when he dined with us. One night his servant came and told the midshipman of the watch that the captain was lying dead drunk on the deck in his cabin. This was communicated to me, and I determined to make the best use of it. I ran down to the cabin, taking with me the midshipman of the watch, the quartermaster, and two other steady men, and having laid the water-drinker in his bed, I noted down the date with all the particulars, together with the names of the witnesses to be used as soon as we fell in with the admiral. The next day I think he had some suspicion of what I had done, and it had nearly been fatal to me. It was blowing a fresh trade-wind, and the vessel rolling very deep when he ordered the booms to be cast loose and restowed, This was nothing short of murder and madness, but in spite of every remonstrance he persisted, and the consequences were terrible. The lashings were no sooner cast off than a spare topmast fell and killed one of the men. This was enough to have completed our mischief for the day, but the devil had not done with us yet. The booms were secured, and the men were ordered to rattle the rigging down, which, as the vessel continued to roll heavily, was still more dangerous, and, if possible, more useless than the former operation. He was warned of it, but in vain, and the men had not been aloft more than ten minutes when one of them fell overboard. Why I should again have put my life in jeopardy, particularly after the warnings of the last voyage, I know not. I was perhaps vain of what I could do in the water. I knew my powers, and with the hope of saving this unfortunate victim to the folly and cruelty of the captain, I plunged after him into the sea, feeling at the same time that I was almost committing an act of suicide. I caught hold of him, and for a time supported him, and had the commonest diligence and seamanship been shown, I should have saved him. But the captain, it appeared, when he found I was overboard, was resolved to get rid of me, in order to save himself. He made use of every difficulty to prevent the boat coming to me. The poor man was exhausted. I kept myself disengaged from him when swimming round him, supported him occasionally whenever he was sinking, but finding at last that he was irrecoverably gone, for though I had a firm hold of him, he was going lower and lower, and, looking up, perceiving I was so deep that the water was dark over my head, I clapped my knees on his shoulders, and, giving myself a little impetus from the resistance, rose to the surface. So much was I exhausted that I could not have floated half a minute more when the boat came and picked me up. The delay in heaving the ship, too, I attributed to the scene I had witnessed the night before, and in this I was confirmed by the testimony of the officers. 
having lost two men by his unseamanlike conduct he would have added deliberate murder of a third to save himself from the punishment which he knew awaited him he continued the same tyrannical conduct and i had resolved that the moment we fell in with the admiral to write for a court-martial on this man let the consequences be what they might i thought i should serve my country and the navy by ridding it of such a monster several of the officers were under arrest and notwithstanding the heat of their cabins in that warm climate were kept constantly confined to them with a sentinel at the door in consequence of this cruel treatment one of the officers became deranged we made barbados and running round needham's point into carlisle bay we saw to our mortification that neither the admiral nor any ship of war was there consequently our captain was commanding officer in the port upon this he became remarkably amiable supposing if the evil day was put off it would be dispensed with altogether he treated me with particular attention hoped we should have some fun ashore as the admiral was not come in we should wait for him tired of kicking about at sea he should take all his duds with him and bring himself to an anchor on shore and not come afloat again till we saluted his flag neither the first lieutenant nor myself believed one word of this indeed we always acted upon the exact reverse of what he said and it was well we did so in this instance after we had anchored he went ashore and in about an hour returned and stated that the admiral was not expected till next month that he should therefore go and take up his quarters at jemmy caverns and not trouble the ship any more until the admiral arrived he then left us taking his trunk and all his dirty linen dirty enough it was some of the officers unfortunately believed that we were to remain and followed the captain's example by sending their linen on shore to be washed skysail was firm and so was i the lieutenant cocked his eye and said messmate depend on it there is something in the wind i have sent one shirt on shore to be washed and when that comes off i will send another if i lose that it is no great matter that night at ten o'clock captain jacky came on board bringing his trunk and dirty linen turned the hands up up anchor and ran out of carlisle bay and went to sea leaving most of the officers linen on shore this was one of his tricks he had received his orders when he landed in the morning they were waiting for him and his coming on board for his things was only a run to throw us off our guard and i suppose compel us by the loss of our clothes to be as dirty in appearance as he was himself but he always liked to make his officers comfortable we arrived at nassau in new providence without any remarkable incident although the service continued to be carried on in the same disagreeable manner as ever i continued however to get leave to go on shore and finding no prospect of bringing the captain to justice determined to quit the ship if possible this was effected by accident otherwise i should have been much puzzled to have got clear of her i fell between the boat and the wharf as i landed and by the sudden jerk ruptured a small blood vessel in my chest it was of no great importance in itself but in that climate required care and i made the most of it they would have carried me on board again but i begged to be taken to the hotel 
the surgeon of the regiment doing duty there attended me and i requested him to make my case as bad as possible the captain came to see me i appeared very ill his compassion was like that of the inquisitor of the holy office who cures his victim in order to enable him to go through further torments his time of sailing arrived and i was reported to be too ill to be removed determined to have me he prolonged his stay i got better the surgeon's report was more favourable but i was still unwilling to go on board the captain sent me an affectionate message to say that if i did not come he would send a file of marines to bring me he even came himself and threatened me when finding there were no witnesses in the room i plainly told him that if he persisted in having me on board it would be to his own destruction for that i was fully determined to bring him to a court-martial for drunkenness and unofficer-like conduct the moment we joined the admiral i told him of the state in which i had found him i recapitulated his blasphemies and his lubberly conduct in losing the two men he stared and endeavoured to explain i was peremptory and he whined and gave in seeing he was in my power well then my dear fellow said jacky since you are so very ill sorry as i shall be to lose you i must consent to your staying behind i shall find it difficult to replace you but as the comfort and happiness of my officers is my first object on all occasions i will prefer annoying myself to annoying you so saying he held out his hand to me which i shook with a hearty good will sincerely hoping that we might never meet again either in this world or the next he was afterwards brought to a court-martial for repeated acts of drunkenness and cruelty and was finally dismissed the service in giving this detail of captain g s peculiarities let it not be imagined that even at that period such characters were common in the service i have already said that he was an unique impressment and the want of officers at the early part of the war gave him an opportunity of becoming a lieutenant he took the weak side of the admiral to obtain his next step and obtained the command of a sloop from repeated solicitation at the admiralty and by urging his claims of long servitude the service had received serious injury by admitting men on the quarter-deck from before the mast it occasioned there being two classes of officers in the navy namely those who had rank and connections and those who had entered by the hawse halls as they were described the first were favoured when young and did not acquire a competent knowledge of their duty the second with few exceptions as they advanced in their grades proved from want of education more and more unfit for their stations these defects have now been remedied and as all young men who enter the service must have a regular education and consequently be the sons of gentlemen a level has been produced which to a certain degree precludes favouritism and perfectly bars the entrance of such men as captain g after the battle of trafalgar when england and europe were indebted for their safety to the british fleet the navy became popular and the aristocracy crowded into it this forwarded still more the amelioration of the service and under the succeeding naval administration 
silent certain and gradual improvements both in men officers and ships took place subsequently the navy has been still more fortunate in having an officer called to its councils whose active and constant employment at sea previous to the peace of paris had given him a thorough insight into its wants and abuses unconnected with party and unawed by power he has dared to do his duty and it is highly to the credit of the first lord who has so long presided at the board that the suggestions of this officer have met with due consideration i can therefore assure my reader that as long as his advice is attended to he need be afraid of meeting with no more captain g s chapter seventeen part two